0: At this point, children uh, dismissed to a junior church. So, be gone, and uh, or stay if you want to stay for the sermon. Today, we're going to be going to he- uh, Genesis chapter 25. So, if you'd like to turn there while I set up the passage, please do. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to start at verse 19 here in a moment. Genesis 25, starting at verse 19, and we're going to talk about Esau here in a moment. Esau the child that could not win the son that could not win the man that could not win here in just a moment but also as we talk about Esau we'll see how Esau and his whole narrative points to the sovereignty of God and how God is in control my dad was raised in a family of seven he had one brother who is now deceased unfortunately my dad's family was and still is uh, very broken most all of his siblings ran away from home when they were children as teenagers, and my dad moved out at 16 years old and he was married at 18 years of age. My dad's brother, he had one brother, my dad's brother never drove and did not hold a job. Growing up, my dad's brother was an example of laziness and living off the system. And it's quite sad, really. As I was finishing elementary school, my grandmother, which would be my dad's mother, my dad's mother started living with us. She lived with us through a hip replacement. And then she ended up staying with us, oftentimes ever since then until she uh, was taken from this world at a very young age in her untimely death. At one point, my dad's brother came up in conversation, and my my grandmother's living with us, and my dad's brother came up in conversation. And she would talk to him, talk to him a lot. And uh, she said these telling words. She said, your dad, I think my dad was in the room, so when she said your dad, she meant my grandfather, she said... My grandfather would work alongside my father. My grandfather would encourage my father. If my dad worked on a car and did something good, my dad could expect some encouragement. Congratulations, good job from his father. But according to my grandmother, my uncle, my dad's brother, who's been deceased for some time now, never got that encouragement from his father. He never had that uh, that time working alongside his father. From this conversation, we could see that my grandmother thought that my dad's brother's lack of work, lack of a work ethic, goes back to his father, my grandfather. From everything I've learned about family dynamics, I think she likely could be right. Grandma likely was right. I was once listening to folks in the family, and they said, you raise a son like you raise a good hunting dog. If you have a hunting dog, whenever you go somewhere, you make sure the hunting dog goes with you. Have the hunting dog get in the back of the truck with you. When you're raising a son, you do the same thing. When you go places, you take your boy with you. You take your son with you, you build that relationship. You work alongside him. My dad certainly did that with us. Growing up, uh, we would be out fishing with him. I followed him with my plastic lawnmower before I could cut the grass. And I was eager to cut the grass because he made it seem like fun. And to this day, It seems like fun. Anyways, it's a good analogy. We're in a sermon series on people of the Bible. People of the Bible. We began talking about uh, Cain and Abel a few weeks ago, and we uh, we also talked about Abraham. And now we come to Esau. Today's sermon could be an example of certain bad parenting, of favoritism. As we talk about Esau, we see that Isaac seemed to favor Esau. Well, Rebecca loved and favored Jacob. I mean, it doesn't just seem that way. It's, it's pretty obvious in the text, which we'll get to here in just a minute, that Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. My favorite preacher and author, Chuck Spindall wrote about Esau and said that Esau could not win. He makes a case that Esau could not win because of his parents' favoritism. And we see the favoritism in today's passage. As well as other places. So my theme today. Meet Jacob and Esau. Jacob swindled the blessing out of Esau. But. God works in our sinfulness. God worked in this situation. None of this. Stuff. None of this swindling. And sinfulness. And pride. And manipulativeness. None of this messed up God's plan. Meet Jacob and Esau. Jacob swindled the blessing out of Esau, but God works in our sinfulness. Here's a major application today. Trust God. He is sovereign and even works in our sinfulness and our fallenness. There's a smaller application here as well. Don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism. And this could relate to our children or grandchildren. It could also relate to just people. The epistle of James later on in the New Testament Gets into that idea of favoritism as well. So hopefully you're there. Let's read Genesis 25, verses 19 through 34. Genesis 25, verses 19 through 34 it says, "Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was." 40 years old, 40 years old, when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramaean of Pat and Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramaean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment. And they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old. 60 years old. When she gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. You don't want to stay open in that passage or keep it in front of you because we're going to walk through this passage today as a portrait, so to speak, into Jacob and Esau, as an example, a biographical segment of Esau's life. Let's walk through this. First, notice in verses 19 through 22, we see the Lord's words concerning Jacob and Esau. We see the Lord's words concerning Jacob and Esau. Now, let's put this narrative in context In context, we had just read about, if you would have read the previous chapter, it was about Ishmael's descendants. Ishmael being being the first son of Abraham. And they had just, Moses who wrote Genesis, had just written about Ishmael's descendants. We have also read, if you read the previous section, about Abraham's death. Now that's important to note right here. Because Abraham's death was recorded in the previous chapter. But Abraham would still be alive right now. This passage and this chapter is not not in chronological order with the previous chapter. Sometimes that happens. Abraham actually lived to be 175 years old. The previous chapter was dealing with Ishmael, but now we move to Isaac. Isaac was born, and we also read about Isaac's birth in the previous chapters. This chapter, verse 20, says Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. And this passage gives it details about Rebekah. We know that, we know from Genesis 24 about Isaac's marriage to Rebekah. Isaac being 40, this means right now, Isaac, well, when they got married, when Rebekah and Isaac married, Abraham would be 140 years old. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, his death was recorded. And he will die at 175. One source shares the following about this kind of out of chronological order thing. It says, some valuable information is provided here. We learn here that Isaac married 35 years before Abraham died. We learn that Rebecca was barren for 20 years. We learn that Abraham would have lived to see Jacob and Esau begin to grow up. The death of Abraham was recorded in the first part of the chapter as a tidying up. Of one generation before beginning the next generation so there's kind of a tidying up of the previous generation as they start to begin isaac's children esau and jacob in these first few verses we see a dominant biblical truth and this is that the lord controls the womb we see that repeatedly throughout the bible throughout the bible we see the truth that the lord controls the womb. we see another truth here as well we see the idea of prayer Rebecca is barren, and so Isaac prays. Rebecca is barren, so Isaac prays. And the Lord answers their prayer as well. There's an application here. Do we pray about all things? We see here that Isaac trusted the Lord to pray. When we pray, we are acknowledging to the Lord that we need help. We are acknowledging to the Lord that we are needy. We are acknowledging to the Lord that he is sovereign and he is in control and he's omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient and we need him. Our lack of prayer is pride and arrogance on our own part. Where do we go when we have a need? Hopefully we go to the Lord first and foremost for help. The Lord answers their prayer, and she becomes pregnant. Then verse 22. The children are in the womb, and they struggle together. The Hebrew word used here suggests a violent struggle that was out of the ordinary. There's a violent struggle out of the ordinary with these twins in the womb. She was so bothered by this that she asked the Lord about it. How she inquired of the Lord is hard to tell. She might have gone to a priest. It is hard to tell. But it seems as though... Isaac represented the family and went to the Lord with this need. It seems as though Isaac, being a spiritual leader of the family, went to the Lord with this important need. It seems as though, she said, why even be pregnant if it is to be like this? Rebecca wanted to know what was happening to her. But the question she asks, why even be pregnant if it is to be like this? The question she asks Itself reflects a growing despair over the struggle of the unborn children. She asked the Lord. In other passages, that idea of asking the Lord the way it's worded here refers to inquiring of a prophet. But no details are provided here. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Ask the Lord, and it's, it's inquiring of a prophet. In verses 23 through 26, the Lord responds. So we see uh, Rebekah and Isaac go to the Lord for help, and now we see the Lord respond. The Lord's response refers to their future. The Lord shares about the future of their nations. In her room are the heads of two nations. One is stronger. The older will serve the younger. And that was rare. The older will serve the younger. In verse 24, as the Lord said, she gives birth to twins. In verse 25, the passage describes Esau coming out red and hairy. In verse 26, Jacob is born, and Jacob's hand is holding on to Esau's heel. Jacob's name itself means one who grasps the heel. One uh, source shares the name Jacob is a play on the Hebrew word for heel. The name is a verb and probably means something like, may he protect, That that is, as a rare guard, dogging the hills. Listen. It did not have a negative connotation until Esau redefined it later on. This name was probably chosen because of the immediate association with the incident of grabbing the heel. After receiving such an oracle, the parents would have preserved in memory almost every details of the unusual verse. So it was not a negative name at first, it became negative later on, it was just a name because he was grabbing onto the heel when they were born. Isaac is now 60 years old, and Abraham would be 160 years old. Can you imagine being 60 when your first child is born? And twins, for that matter. In verses 27 through 34, Jacob buys the birthright for stew. And really, Jacob swindles Esau out of the birthright. And really, by the way, it was Jacob's birthright to begin with. We'll come back to that. Esau is a hunter, and he's very skillful. Jacob is peaceful and lived in tents. One source shares the following. The incident with the stew appears to take place away from home. Otherwise, Esau could have appealed to his parents. Jacob is not the hunting type, so it would be unusual for him to be out in the countryside alone. Jacob has been described as a man staying among the tents, which may indicate he was more closely associated with the shepherding business. The shepherding business. The shepherds move their camps over a broad area of land in order to find water and grazing for the flocks. It is most likely that Jacob would be out supervising some of the shepherds at such a camp when Esau stumbles upon them. That's probably how it happened. Esau's out hunting. Jacob is out supervising the shepherds in in the camps. Esau stumbles in. Jacob would be the one in charge of the camp. So the decision would be his. And there would therefore be witnesses to the agreement made between Jacob and Esau. In verse 28, we see that Isaac liked the game which Esau hunted. And this caused him to love Esau more. However, Rebekah loved Jacob. Remember favoritism as I opened this sermon about? There's that favoritism listed. There it is, right there. Esau is famished. But Jacob has cooked stew. Esau wants some of the red stew which Jacob has cooked. In Hebrew, the name Edom is similar to the word red. In verse 31, Jacob says, first, sell the birthright. Before I give you any stew, before I give you any of this, any of the lentils, anything else, you got to sell the birthright. You know, I wonder if Jacob set this up. Maybe he knew Esau would come in very tired and he knew he would sell the birthright, I wonder if Jacob just wanted the birthright that bad. Maybe Jacob knew. And so he moved the shepherding camp. He moved the camps out there knowing that Esau always came in at a certain place in time. And he was always tired because Esau always hunted longer than he should be and always went too long without food. Maybe Jacob set this up. I like how Chuck Swindoll helps us think this through. I like how Swindoll makes this come alive. Swindoll writes the following. Two very different boys grew into manhood. In doing so, two realities emerged. First, the men were very opposite in their temperaments. Second, Jacob was not a sissy, but a normal man by the standards of his day. He was a cultured, even-tempered, civilized man with clean fingernails. Esau was a studied contrast. Esau was unusually rugged, independent, and passionate. Esau smelled like the countryside where he preferred to live. Jacob lived by his wits. Esau lived by his gut instinct. Jacob became shrewd. Esau remained gullible. Jacob thought strategically. Esau thought impulsively. You get the picture. Back in that day and age, having the birthright was a huge deal, a very big deal. To a person who had the birthright, they had the prominent blessing of their father. And for the Israelite people, the birthright meant that it was through your descendants that the Messiah would eventually come. This was a big deal. I like what Tim Keller writes about this. Tim Keller shares the following. Uh, He's a pastor and author and head of the Gospel Coalition. And he says, many years ago when I first started reading the book of Genesis... It was very upsetting to me. Here are all these spiritual heroes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and look how they treat women. They engage in polygamy, and they buy and sell their wives. It was awful to read their stories at times, but then I read Robert Alter's book, The Art of Biblical Narrative. Robert Alter's The Art of Biblical Narrative. Alter is a Jewish scholar at Berkeley, whose expertise is ancient Jewish literature. In his book, he says there are two institutions present in the book of Genesis that were universal in ancient cultures. Two institutions present in the book of Genesis that were universal in ancient cultures. Polygamy and primogeniture. Polygamy and primogeniture. Polygamy said a husband could have multiple wives. And primogeniture said the oldest son got everything. The oldest son got everything. All the power. All the money. In other words, the oldest son basically ruled over everyone else in the family. Arthur points out that when you read the book of Genesis, though, you'll see two things. First of all, in every generation, polygamy wreaks havoc. Throughout the book of Genesis, in every generation, polygamy wreaks havoc. Having multiple wives is an absolute disaster, socially, culturally, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and relationally. Secondly, throughout the book of Genesis, when it comes to primogeniture, in every generation, God favors the younger son over the older. In every generation, throughout Genesis, God favors the younger son over the older. He favors Abel, not Cain, Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, not Esau. Alter says that you begin to realize what the book of Genesis is doing. It is subverting Not supporting those ancient institutions at every turn. Think about that. Isn't that just amazing? When uh, Timothy Keller shares, When I read Altru's book, I then reread the book of Genesis and loved it. And then it hit me. What if when I was younger I had abandoned my trust in the Bible because of these accounts in Genesis? What if I had drop-kicked the Bible and the Christian faith, missing out on a personal relationship with Christ? All because I couldn't understand the behavior of the patriarchs. The lesson is simple. Be patient with the Bible text. Consider the possibility that it might not be teaching what you think is teaching. Right here, we see God favors the younger over the older. God favors Jacob. Jacob is supposed to get the birthright. As we look at the rest of the passage, Esau thinks he will die without the stew, and living is better than dying, so he sells his birthright. So Jacob made Esau swear this to him. Jacob followed um, through and Esau despised his birthright. In other words, Esau was indifferent to his birthright. One source shares the following: Esau was contemptuous of his special firstborn status. On the basis of this, Hebrews twelve sixteen in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews twelve sixteen describes Esau as unholy. Esau did not appreciate that his birthright was linked to God's plan of redemption for the whole world. Esau didn't care. He was indifferent. By the way, there's explicit moral commentary in this passage. If you look at the, end of the, at the end of the passage, it says right there in verse 34, it says, Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised his birthright. And that type of explicit moral commentary was rare in Genesis. So we need to take note of it right here. As we wrap up this passage, let me summarize the next few chapters so you can get a complete picture of Esau. Genesis chapter 26 is about Isaac. Genesis 26 is about Isaac. Then chapter 27 comes back to Jacob and Esau. In Genesis 27, there is a major deceptive account of Jacob stealing the blessing from Esau. Now, Jacob has already paid for the blessing, but maybe he wasn't going to get it from Esau. So he stole the blessing from Esau, and we see that in Genesis 27. Isaac was not obeying God. Isaac should have known, though, that the blessing did belong to Jacob. However, God's will comes about to the end. In Genesis chapter 27, we see in the first four verses, Isaac calls Esau and tells him to go hunt some game, and they will eat and he will give him the blessing. Verses 5 through 17 of 27, Rebecca had overheard Isaac's plan, but she loved Jacob more. Remember that favoritism? So Rebecca manipulated things, Rebecca manipulated things so that Jacob would get the birthright. In verses 18 through 19, the plan works out and Jacob is blessed. In verses 30 through 38, Esau returns and Esau is so upset that the blessing was stolen. Isaac and Esau are beyond upset. Esau gets a secondary blessing. Yet notice, throughout all this treachery, God's will comes about. God's will comes about. They had free will, but God's will still comes to pass. We see both throughout the scripture. We see free will in God's providential plan, and God's will. Chuck Swindoll makes this come alive as he writes the following. What if Isaac had been an involved, proactive father who was obedient to God's plan rather than one who allowed his favoritism to passively resist it? Think about that. Isaac let his favoritism make him resist God's plan. What if Rebecca and Isaac had prepared the boys to obey early in life? saying something like this. Now, boys, we have some extremely important information about you two straight from the Lord. Jacob is to receive the birthright and blessing, even though he's the youngest. We don't understand why, but God is good and all his ways are right. Esau, you will be very, very wealthy, and you will have a great nation that can be an ally to the covenant people that will come through Jacob. Your descendants can share in all his blessings. What if Esau had received attention equal to Jacob's and all the approval he craved from his parents? What if he had graciously released the birthright to Jacob in humble obedience and surrendered the Lord's loving sovereign will? What if? What if Jacob had humbly received the blessing and offered to share his wealth and privilege with Esau? How might history have turned out differently? How much happier would everyone have been How much more glory would God have received through the obedience of his people? It's difficult to say, but the story closes with yet another example of how each person's sinful perspective added further complications. At the end of the account of Jacob and Esau, at the end of Genesis chapter 27, Isaac was passive, uninvolved, and yielding. Rebecca manipulated and spun the truth. Jacob scurried away to avoid owning his responsibility. And in a move typical of Esau, he reacted with self-destructive impulsiveness to make matters worse. To save her son from Esau's wrath, Rebekah sent Jacob packing to visit her brother far, far away. But to gain Isaac's support, Rebecca resorted to manipulation and deceit once again. She tricked Isaac into thinking that Jacob should find a wife and that she should be found near her brother. If you read the rest of that account, chapters 26 and 27, you see how the manipulation continues and continues and continues. The story continues in chapter 28 with Isaac, but we we'll are stopped there. Let's make some applications here before we close. In verse 21, Isaac prayed for a child. We must recognize the Lord is sovereign and the Lord is in control, even in control over the womb. The Lord is in control. We must always pray for every situation. The Lord is in control. Do we recognize that, though? Do we recognize that the Lord is in control? Are we praying about everything and in everything? Are we putting the Lord first in everything, recognizing he is sovereign and he is in control? Or do we go to Dr. Google first or some other source first? The Lord had already promised greatness for Jacob and his descendants. And we must trust the Lord in his promises and not try to make things work out on our own. Too often we try to manipulate and we try to work things out our way instead of God's ways as well. The Lord already had this taken care of. It was already in, the, in control. But they tried to manipulate We must seek the Lord's Word to see what his will is. Seek the Lord's Word. Read the scriptures. Listen to the scriptures in order to see the Lord's will. We must not try to go against the Bible, against his word. We must not try to reach the Lord's will through sin. We must not try to manipulate things for his will. We must trust the Lord. We must not try to achieve the Lord's will through debt. We must not try to receive the Lord's will through debt. We must not favor one child over another as Isaac and Rebecca did, which we saw in Genesis twenty-five, twenty-eight. We must spend equal resources with our children, our grandchildren, and so on, as much as we are able. We must support our children emotionally and meet their needs. Every child is different, as you all know. We must support our children spiritually, leading them spiritually. We must not neglect one child. We must remember we are called to be spiritual leaders in the home. Oftentimes, we put the physical way above the spiritual. We must support our children in every way. We must support our children with physical felt needs. We must not teach one child and not the other. And when we mess up, and we will, we must apologize and repent. Repent to God and repent to our children. Show humility to our children in our repentance. It will go a long way. And to our grandchildren. Final application, I think. We must trust God's sovereignty. As God's will came through after this whole mess. In Genesis 25-23, God had already declared, the older will serve the younger. Trust God's sovereignty. Trust that God is in control. Remember that nothing comes upon you that does not already come upon the Lord. God is in control. Worship Him. Surrender to Him. Trust in Him. Have a relationship with Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now after reading and studying this lengthy passage in these lengthy chapters. Lord, we recognize as we study these that you're in control. And we see free will in these passages. We see how Jacob and Esau and Rebekah and Isaac, they all manipulated and they all controlled and they all tried to bring things about their way, not your way. You already had a plan. It was already in the books even. You had already declared the plan to them. But they still messed up they still had pride and ego and jealousy and control and so much more lord i thank you though that even as we see all that stuff that we see that your will came about lord i'm also reminded and grateful that the bible doesn't gloss over man's sinfulness it's right here written in the book we also see your sovereignty we also see your will come to pass we also see that you're in control. Help us, Lord, to remember that. Help us all to surrender to you. Help us to trust in you. Help us to put you first. Help us to have a relationship with you. Help us to recognize we are dependent upon you, and we pray about everything. It's just like Isaac and Rebecca prayed about having a child. May we put you first in everything with prayer, scripture-reading, spiritual disciplines. And Lord, if there's anyone here right now who's not surrendered to you. They don't have the kingdom living that you promised. They don't have the abundant life that you promised. Maybe they've surrendered to you years ago, but they're really not living for you. So they're really not surrendered. May today be the day of salvation. May today be the day to firmly make the decision to be with you, Jesus, in order to become like you, Jesus, and to learn and do all that you say and to organize our affairs around you. May we put you first. Help us walking by the Holy Spirit because we cannot do this on our own but only by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.